I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It is Tommy Moore! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Hello everybody and welcome to a very first edition of a Friday Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here and we are joined for the countdown to Twickenham by Murray Kinsler of the 42. How are you big man? I'm good. It's been nice kind of bookending my week by looking at you on, on Zoom, Gav. Uh, we've had a busy week with pods. It's been brilliant. Did the Monday pod with Birch, obviously. New slot for that. Very enjoyable and, and seems to have gone down pretty well. And then had a great chat with Owen Toulon there on Wednesday he did some brilliant analysis on England so I feel like I'm well set up for the weekend it's nice to have this little hit just me and you chatting away before uh, before we get stuck into the action yeah trying to cast off some last minute nerves here I think your preview with Owen was so detailed I really enjoyed it just as a listener objectively like I'm not just saying that I mean if I thought I was shy to tell you you know what I mean but <laughs> it kind of feels would. like you know I'd really recommend uh members to go back and listen to that i'm not going to be able to beat that in terms of steering you towards uh, analysis of either team but we are burnished by the two teams at this point mm. which is why we're going to chat about the game again and as i say give the final little bit of preview for a game that i think everybody is really excited about we're going to chat about the other two six nations games as well and the two urc games involving three of the provinces that will happen over the weekend some transfer news to get through all of this transfer news unfortunately is already confirmed we don't have birch here to break any stories he was saying to us yesterday that he was going to drop uh, another transfer story on monday's pod however he was beaten to the punch by Leinster, who confirmed Rory O'Loughlin's move to Exeter Chiefs. We'll chat about that in a while. I think Jack Dunn to Exeter had been pretty well flagged, really, Murray, hadn't it? But yeah, Birch scooped by Leinster. I think the provinces are on red alert, actually, with uh, <laughs> all of this gossiping at the moment. I say gossiping. Yeah. It's it's always true. Who's going to be talking to Birch anymore? My favourite Birch <laughs> moment of the week was... Um was Dan McFarlane's story about his boomerang call in the line-out for a Connacht match many moons ago. I think we both shared it on Twitter. It's absolutely priceless. Birch just decided to change the call looking for a bit of glory and he's confirmed that it's completely true as well. So a new side to the the multi-faceted uh, Bernard Jackman. I know, I'm just glad he's been able to park his ego over the intervening years. Uh, <laughs> I'd really recommend anybody who hasn't heard that clip to go onto Twitter You'll find it probably on either Murray's or my Twitter feed or on Premier Sports. Bert probably shared it as well. It's very, very funny. And uh, Dan McFarlane is quite the storyteller as well. Um, we'll chat about this game. And uh, let's, look, let's start with Ireland. We haven't had a chance to hear from you on Ireland's team. Six changes. Give me your thoughts on whichever of them you find most intriguing. The two biggest calls, I suppose, being... Peter Romani's inclusion in a slightly rearranged back row and Bundy Aki coming back in for Robbie Henshaw at 12. Yeah, Romani's the one that most people have asked or spoken to me about or criticised or complimented. He still is such a, always such a divisive figure. I, I struggle to understand some of the uh, the haters, I suppose, are people who genuinely seem to think he's not very good at rugby, which he clearly and, and obviously is and brings really obvious strengths in terms of set piece line out that's obvious breakdown he gives you another jackal with Andrew Porter out of the team and Andy Farrell complimented his attacking growth which has been apparent I think his leadership as well 
And then, not to put too fine an analysis point on it, but he loves getting stuck into English lads and that actually counts for something in this game. Like Eddie Jones mentioned it yesterday as well, that Peter Romani always seems to play against England and he always seems to play well, is, is what Jones didn't say. And you need a bit of that, especially when there's such a verbally... Um, confident physical challenge set out by Eddie Jones um, saying yesterday that, that Ireland won't have seen the physicality we can bring he's obviously willfully ignoring Ireland having played France a few weeks ago and he knows what he's doing exactly but it is a challenge that he's laying down to, to Ireland now they can't get over focus on that but guys like Peter Romani do relish that side of the game getting stuck in and yeah it's not the most important factor all the other technical qualities I mentioned are but he does give you that bit of edge and it's a nice balanced back row. Caelan Doris obviously playing at eight in his be- best position, his best role, I think. Josh van der Pleer playing brilliant rugby and Conan probably hasn't quite hit his heights in this championship, but he gives you a massive impact and change up from the bench. So yeah, that was the word that, that Farrell used, balance, and, it, and it's not hard to, to see that. It's a very kind of tried and trusted Ireland team, isn't it? It looks very familiar, but that's not to say it's not got its, its qualities. I think Aki's form... And having played so many minutes this season, he warranted that selection at 12. And again, Henshaw is a great guy to have at 23. Um, and then the other one, I suppose, was Lucehead. You were interested to see where he was going to go with that, Kilcoyne or, or Healy. Kilcoyne probably has that punch in the carry and, and a bit of dynamism there. But <clears throat> Healy's been there and done it. Also a big challenge going up against Kyle Sinclair, who, having spoken to people who probably know more about scrummage than I do, is a really tricky customer in that aspect. He's... He's willing to to test things out with a bit of dark arts and really challenging your bind, etc. And Healy obviously has had loads of experiences of that. So it would be a surprise, I know, that uh, like we'll know that Kilcoyne will play a good stint off the bench. But again, that selection makes sense to me. And, and Hansen, sorry, just to, to wrap it, Hansen is the unlucky one to miss out. But I did think that he was going to go this way with Lowe and Conway. There's, there's balance again to that pairing. Lowe and Mahansen, are, I suppose, are similar players and they both kind of fill that role really nicely of, of getting touches on the ball, distributing off their wing. Um, and then Lowe gives you ad- additional, much-mentioned big left boot, which which is important in a game like this where where the kicking battle will be, will be um, really well done. The only thing is maybe on the bench you could have had a bit more... A change up in, in some of those slots and again the concern will be the front row if, if England get a big boost off the bench there and Ireland don't in, in a few scrums or in that final 20 minutes well, maybe that's a, a concern but yeah overall long expected lines I don't know about you Gav were you surprised at any of it? I was surprised to see Omani come in purely because I don't know that I've seen enough of him in recent weeks to suggest that he would usurp Conan and, and that there would be a rearrangement required in the eyes of Andy Farrell but as you mentioned he does well against England Farrell describing him as a big emotional leader I think loosely translates I know like that is true on the face of it but I think it also loosely translates this week as he he fucking hates England you know what I mean and (laughs) and that, that that can be important and like I think Peter is a lot smarter than to say that out loud particularly given his uh recent scrapes with a an AIL side in Limerick but I think this game does mean a huge amount to him and as you say he actually routinely performs in it uh the detractors out there i don't really understand because certainly from what we have seen of omani off the bench for ireland in recent times he's been really impressive and like if you are a coaching team looking at players day in day out, day out in training and that's what you believe like is the best foot forward for your team then 
who are we to second guess that would be my thoughts on it i mean we we often do anyway right but like i basically trust farrell's call on this and i also think that as you say like to state the obvious peter man is an excellent player and i think he'll go well plus you have conan coming off the bench for 25 30 minutes which is a, a pretty big boon actually and changes the dynamic slightly um compared to if omani is coming off the bench he comes off the bench to kind of do wreck over the ball bring you that additional jackal threat usually when ireland have a lead i think i think farrell sees it as a means of protecting a lead almost to stem the flow of the opposition and stop them getting back into a game we may not have a lead in this game so mm-hmm. maybe it's about holding our own for the first hour and then trying to pull away with that additional ballast ballast in the uh carry yeah. off the bench yeah it is interesting also to look i suppose at what's missing andrew porter most obviously like he is a huge loss because of his power because he can also link with the ball as I said he can jackal he's been powerful looking at the scrum as he continues to get to grips with that back on the loose head side and he's one of Ireland's best players so that is a a huge blow obviously Ronan Keller as well who's who's been in really good form it is exciting I think to see Dan Sheehan get another opportunity starting against a a big English pack as well but they, they do diminish Ireland's overall quality and the quality of their of their 23 as as we're saying as well and obviously England are, are missing a few as well they're missing home Farrell their their key guy um and a couple of others obviously Manu Tuilagi is a player that we're very um aware of how good he is against Ireland he's played them six times and won all six times and he's not the only factor in that but he's a big been a big factor in it and he's helped England get over the gain line and bring that kind of physicality that that Eddie Jones mentioned from from their point of view obviously a, a a boost out of Alex Dombrandt back in the 23. He doesn't start and Sam Simmons comes in. And I'll be fascinated to say, see how he gets on because there have been test matches where maybe it's almost passed him by a little bit when that physicality goes up to, to another level. Um, and he's a brilliant player. I love watching him play for Exeter. He's a constant threat both sides of the ball, um, really. But it'll be fascinating to see how Ireland look to to bring a bit of pain to him potentially without saying it in the in the media the the week before the game. So uh, the rest of their team, I I, th- I think it's good for them that Harry Randall starts again at nine and that they didn't revert to Ben Youngs there. Randall allows them to play with that bit more tempo. Obviously, his quick tap's going to be a, a big threat uh, as well. Um, and then with the injury to, to Cowan Dickey, it was just common sense that Jamie George comes in, a, an excellent hooker who has a load of nous around line out of lovely darts and he's also skillful uh, around the pitch. The other change was was Joe Marchand coming into midfield. And again, like they're still trying to find their balance there. They still don't know for sure, but it's definitely a backline with a lot of um, creativity, maybe that's the right word, and, and cutting edge if the, the forwards can give them that quality of ball. Say if everybody was fit for England, I, I wonder would they get more purchase out of their pack I don't know how feasible this is, but if you moved uh, Courtney Laws to lock alongside Maro Toje, and then you started both Simmons and Don Brandt with Curry, and then you could have Alfie Barbary and, and Launchbury on the bench. Like, I wonder, similarly to what we were saying maybe about Byrne moving to six at some point, like, I wonder, is that their optimal setup? You know what I mean? Just in terms of physicality. Yeah. Do you think it would work? No. It, it looks the best on paper, kind of, but it, it depends what you're looking at. You, you need nuts in both players, like you, you do. Mm. You need lads who aren't very glamorous. Um, and like second rows like Charlie Ewells are, are important for that fact. And Launchbury is a good example of it. I actually loved that Eddie Jones was asked about Joe Launchbury and the quality he turned to was the maul. Like you don't often hear people saying, this guy's class at mauling. Mm. I thought it was a really nice reminder that the maul's often as important as a couple of those 
classy line breaks or offloads that someone's making. In fact, it's arguably more important because it allows people to do those things. And like balance is such an important word. It's it's almost the the buzzword this week for, for Ireland. Um, but it is vital in your team to have guys who are a little less glamorous, don't get the headlines, but do some of the, the dirty work. Before I ask you to call the game, it can be boring to talk about Eddie Jones' attempted mind I games. I love it. I love it. But, but you know what? No, I really enjoy it as well. Sorry, but I just mean it can be boring to try to analyze it, I think, in the sense that I yeah. think it's pretty obvious what he's doing. I, I don't really think he even believes he's going to get under Ireland's skin much. I understand like, oh, we're going to bring a kind of level of physicality that they haven't seen before. Could Royal Ireland's players up? I think it's more about throwing down a gauntlet to his own players Mm. and saying, this is actually what I expect of you. No backward steps. Like, I'm... Uh, uh, steadfast in my belief that this is the challenge we're bringing to Ireland. It's up to you to actually produce that now, you know. Um, But I wonder, like, can it be almost counterintuitive a little bit? I mean, I suppose I'm just after saying Ireland wouldn't pay much attention to it, but just that physicality line, if I was one of those Ireland players, I'd be just thinking, yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll see. We'll see, mate, you know. Uh, And I just wonder... Should he actually shut up sometimes just for the sake of his own team? <laughs> yeah, like whatever happens in the match, Eddie Jones is not going to be on the pitch. He's not going to control a lot of things. The bounce of the ball could decide the game. We know what Roby's like. And whatever happens in that way, then our narrative will, will slant towards Eddie being mm-hmm. an absolute clown or Eddie Jones having called this and said Ireland couldn't match our physicality. It was prophetic. And this Ireland team is broken because they can't match the biggest sides. And, and that's how things work. Yeah, like he, he obviously wants Ireland to be swayed by what he's saying and questioning their their ability to get to that level um and he's but being why? so selective <laughs> and inaccurate because Ireland at their worst do run into people like Ireland when they've been beaten by England in the last few times in Twickenham they've actually run into hard shoulders and Caelan Doris mentioned this week the November 2020 game was a key lesson for the forwards in just remembering that they had those tip options, the backdoor options, the ability to use their handling skill. It's something that Andy Farrell had been pushing them towards doing and now they are doing more frequently. Like obviously there's going to be people who probably want to run into, there are probably going to be people who want to run into English tacklers here and show their level of physicality, but that's not the smart option. And that just suits England, you know. They'd, they'd absolutely lap that up and they'll win the game if Ireland do that. We know that Ireland have to play a different way and that's been the key theme with this Andy Farrell regime is, is doing something a little bit different against sides who maybe have heavier uh, forwards and, and and trying to shut them down that way. So, yeah, you, you would expect that Ireland would be strong enough mentally not to play into England's hands that way and to have learned the lessons of times before and including that France match you know after that Andy Farrell said let's not fall into that physicality trap you've got to be focused on other parts of your game um, that, that flow off the back or or away from that as well so yeah I'd be surprised if Ireland do fall into it but if they get beaten and bullied um, beaten up and bullied then Eddie Jones would have been the, the prophet <laughs> Maybe I have fallen into the trap not professional enough uh, we're <laughs> just over 24 hours out from kickoff as we record on Friday morning, call it for us in a word. Ireland. I love it. Uh, let's look at Wales and France quickly. Josh Navidi coming back in, Seb Davies and Talupi to, excuse me, Talupi Falato starting in a new look back row for them. Navidi came back for Cardiff last week after five months out with a shoulder injury. Uh, hasn't played test ball in nearly a year. Uh, it, that looks 
decent to me, Murray on paper, but I suppose Tane Basham's omission is like the headline news in Wales, just because he has been pretty well lauded over the last while. I thought it was interesting how Wayne Pivak framed it, really, and and he didn't shy away from it or they didn't pretend he'd picked up a niggle or whatever. Uh, Pivak said he's a young player who's played a lot of games in a row. He started to just make a few errors in the last game. Tane was very open and honest and he's working very hard at his game. What did you make of some of those back row calls and particularly the decision to leave Basham out of the 23 altogether? Yeah, it's interesting because even before the selection, when I'd watched the Wales games back, I probably realised I'd slightly overrated Basham's performance without being harsh on him. And he's done loads of unreal things. I thought in the Iron game particularly he was excellent. But he's a player who has those kind of big standout moments and it tends to probably completely bias your opinion of the overall performance because you, you remember those three incidents and you don't probably notice even some of the bits where he, he maybe gets his positioning wrong or doesn't work around a corner or wherever it might, it might be he'll definitely be back and, and involved with Wales he's, he's got loads of ability and it's a fascinating selection isn't it Seb Davies in particular at, at six I don't think anyone really would have foreseen that and you're fascinated to see exactly what role he has to play in how Wales are going to go around trying to beat this French team which has proven beyond everyone else so far and and the, the French formula looks like it has so many different strands to it that they, they can beat you in a number of ways. If they don't have the ball, they can they can beat you with their defence and score in, in transition. When they've got line-out platforms, they can score off those. It was three line-out tries and three uh, transition tries last time out against Scotland. They've got individuals who can produce magic when, when the collective is struggling as well. And their kicking game also creates a lot of opportunities for them. So I'm just intrigued again to watch this tonight. It's it's great to, to have a Friday night match tactically to see what Wayne Pivak comes up with. Seb Davies is a, a brilliant, um, skillful rugby player obviously has a bit of history in, in the backs and he can kick the ball a little bit like Ty Byrne um, and he can pass and, and he, he's clever in that sense. But the set piece stuff is, is massive as well. So it's a fascinating one on a on a Friday night and I suppose Ireland will be watching on with keen interest, hoping that Wales give them a, another leg up into this championship and a, and a shot at it. Wales are... Um, they showed their pride, I think, in the last couple of weeks. I don't think it's a vintage Wales team by any means. And it's a pity there's no full house there to, to this, this evening with the, the struggle to sell those last 10,000 tickets. But I think they can get close and I think they can give France a, a bit of a rattle, albeit I, I do think France are, are just too good. Yeah, just looking at France, it's only one change I think they're making. Obviously, Antoine Dupont survived that stinger that he took in training, but yeah. Gabon, Villiers coming in for uh, the COVID stricken Damien Penault. And even that change alone just has me thinking, piss off France, you know? <laughs> like, like that's a joke, really. Like, uh, And I would have thought that maybe if Dupont had been injured, something Wales could produce something guttural and seismic from within in front of that home crowd. I mean, whether it's 60,000 or 72,000, it's going to be loud either way. But no, nah, I just don't really see it. Uh, and it's a pity, but I, like, I remember saying to you guys, to yourself and Bernard after the Ireland-Wales game, like I didn't personally think Wales were as bad as people made them out to be. I think you disagreed. And listen, a lot of people disagreed, but I think we've seen in all of Wales's games, like... Uh, at least a, a set like a semblance of kind of spirit like of, of collectiveness you know they haven't thrown in the towel and the, I don't think they threw in the towel on Dublin even when they easily could have you know so I wondered with that home crowd but nah it's just it's France France are building enough yeah. week on week now where you kind of think it's inevitable 
Yeah. The, the, the best Wales patch in the England game was when they had to chase the game and when they threw a bit of caution to the wind and played with that real Wayne Pivak stamp to their team, I thought. Like mm. attacking from deep, backing their skills. And hopefully this is a selection that, that goes and does it. Like it, it, you kind of almost feel like Wales have nothing to lose here and that could be a, a powerful weapon for them. I'd love to see them just go all out Wayne Pivak style attack from the Scarlet's days because that would make it an absolute classic for us neutrals. <laughs> <laughs> it really would. Italy, Scotland, two changes for Italy. Callum Braley comes in for Stephen Varney at scrum half. And Giacomo Nicutera will make his debut at hooker uh, after Gianmarco Lucchesi suffered a dislocated elbow. Uh, Nicutera is on the books at Rivigo Delta in the top 10, but he's been a permit player with Benetton for the last couple of seasons. He only made his debut at URC level against Connacht last season, Murray. And um, I actually, the Benetton's permanent player and that, that arrangement with the top 10 in Italy is probably something that we haven't had a chance to speak about before and maybe isn't talked about generally speaking because unfortunately people don't talk about Benetton that much, at least in sort of the English language, rugby media. Can you kind of explain to people how that system works? Like, is it similar to, say, one of the provinces calling uh, a Gary Owen scrum half up or uh, for a short-term contract, that kind of thing? Because with Nicotera, obviously, it's been a two-year thing. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's essentially exactly that at the start, a, a short-term kind of cover when their squad is is down on bodies and it's great to see, and, and as we mentioned recently, it's great to see that when it happens in Ireland, like Aaron Hare, the Shannon Scrum Half going over to SA with, with them on their tours is, is brilliant. And this shows, I suppose, with Italy how beneficial the system can be. A guy plucked from domestic rugby all the way into a Six Nations start ahead of Luca Bigi, who's obviously an experienced and, and pretty good hooker as well. It shows, again, the commitment that Kieran Crowley and Italy have had for, for a number of years now to to bringing um, less experienced players through and, and giving them opportunity. And you would hope that with 15 players, fingers crossed, on the pitch for Italy, they can maybe give Scotland a bit, a bit of a rattle here because we saw decent elements. We, we've actually seen decent elements in their games in the Six Nations. And even after they went down to 13, like you could argue that was their most encouraging performance of the championship because they dug in. I know they got hammered in the end on the scoreboard, but they figured out a way and they showed great defensive qualities and not just mentally but actually to to tackle to jackal to work really connected together and that's how their game has developed and and I was almost encouraged by some of the things they did obviously they couldn't attack they just kicked the ball back to Ireland Mm. but yeah you'd love to see them give the the Scots a good rattle it's obviously a Scotland team with with plenty of scoring power and potential and Finn Russell and etc looking to bounce back from from their disappointment against France um, but fingers crossed we, we see something from Italy yeah Scotland should win let's be honest but yeah it would be nice to see an Italian performance or even for them to make it hairy for Scotland going into that last quarter uh, Kyle Stain coming back in for Scotland just an interesting backstory have you ever heard his father's story Murray you probably have but yeah, he was um, well obviously like Stain grew up in South Africa and, and back in the day his father would have been pro-apartheid like voted for pro-apartheid parties uh politically and then he became the head of security for the newly elected president uh, nelson mandela in 1994 which changed his mindset entirely just the way mandela treated people and that whole cultural movement if you like and then he ran security for the all blacks at the 1995 world cup and apparently he's convinced that they were poisoned in the lead up to that final yeah, against yeah. the box um, i heard that story right and uh yeah no, it's, it's all in a really good piece on uh, rugby pass by um, 
Jamie Lyle, who's a Scottish rugby journalist. It's from 2019. I was just looking up Kyle Stain. Obviously, I knew he'd scored those four tries against Tonga and we saw him score a couple against Connacht as well more recently. But yeah, really interesting guy and really interesting family story. Um, I'll check I, that out. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty good. If you if people at home just Google Jamie Lyle, Kyle Stain, rugby pass, I'm pretty sure it'll be the first result. Let's look ahead then to Ulster and Leinster. It's... <laughs> unbelievable really that we have a game the size of England Ireland to look forward to and then an Interpro as the cherry on top um, and also it's a top of the table clash as well between you know two of the three best sides in Ireland at the moment let's say uh, we don't have teams yet do we unless I've completely missed them not yet as we record yeah so it's hard to avoid being kind of vague about it but like you know Ulster will obviously see this as an opportunity to usurp Leinster in the table, but like also to actually put down a bit of a marker. You know, like they've been part of that chasing pack. Really, they have been a chasing pack in and of themselves for long enough. And while a victory won't make them better than Leinster, like it would be such a step in the right direction for them, wouldn't it? After doing it in Dublin, to do the double over Leinster would be a, a massive step for any team at the moment. It'll be huge. And what a huge game, as you say, just after Ireland playing the Six Nations. It's a, a strange kind of window for it, but that, that's it. That's what it is. Ulster also coming off the back of a really impressive performance. We we, we analysed it in the Monday pod for, for members and got stuck into all the details and the impressive performers, etc. But that was a serious win against a Cardiff team who had some good players and, and would have gone with a bit of um, ambition to, to actually upset Ulster. They blew them away in all areas and played some brilliant rugby and the fact that some of their tries even came from their defence again says a lot about the the rounded nature of it so there's a spring in their step absolutely Leinster looked ruthless enough over in, in Benetton their mall was massive I, I would be shocked if the mall wasn't a huge feature list given what Ulster can do in that area as well and there's going to be plenty of high quality players here um, you know out to impress in a in a, in a kind of Six Nations week when it goes under the radar but of course Andy Farrell and co will be looking back on this game because the, the Interpros are the big ones uh, and when you're looking towards a, a tour in, in New Zealand in the summer with five games impressing against your Irish counterparts is a massive deal as well so a whole load of strands into this game and it, as you say it's it's top of the table it's a, a blockbuster and may miss it live because I'll be in Twickenham uh, mm. hammering through loads of quotes etc but can't wait to, to watch it back yeah, what a day for Ulster and Leinster fans, particularly if they're travelling to that game, watch the England-Ireland game in Belfast, maybe in a bar or somewhere, Airbnb, and then head off to Ravenhill. It should be a good one. Confirmation uh, this week that Peter Dooley and Adam Byrne are heading west to Connacht Murray, as Birch reported on our last pod, uh, or sorry, our last Thursday pod, Jack Dunn's move to Exeter from next season had been well flagged, as we were saying at the top. Uh, Rory O'Loughlin's move to Exeter was more surprising to me. I'm not sure maybe you had caught wind of it in the interim, but um, talk to us about those four moves. I mean, it's it feels like Leinster are kind of uh, bleeding talent, but in a very deliberate way. We know budgets have to be cut, and these are slightly more peripheral players. They're really good players in their own right, but... Uh, needs must at the moment and it's a chance for them to either kickstart their careers or just further their careers at two really good rugby institutions in Connacht and Exeter. 
Yeah, I think great moves all around for all parties. Leinster obviously lose a bit of depth in their squad and that's not ideal, but we've sensed that this probably was coming and particularly with three fewer games in the URC regular season, it just makes it all the more difficult and, and more frustrating for players who don't feature every single weekend. And all of them have qualities to, I think, make an impact with, with their new clubs. Dunn in particular is going to be a really interesting one because he's slightly further back than the other guys in terms of senior experience, but with a lot of potential there. And then from Lenz's point of view, yeah, you want to keep high quality squad players um, in, in the province, but the conveyor belt kind of rolls on. You know, even with Dunn leaving, Joe McCarty, I've mentioned him, I think, for, for several weeks in a row now, but he's been unbelievably impressive. And there are other guys there, you know, in midfield, Jamie Osborne, and he obviously plays fullback as well, but he's going to get a lot more opportunities. And and that's part and parcel. I think there are going to be a few more Leinster players who leave. There's a few names floating around um, who are coming out of contract as well. And and that's, a, I suppose, a challenge is making sure that the squad depth is good with all those tiers, senior players, squad players who have a, you know, mid-20s and a bit of experience and then the young guns coming through. So, yeah, it's always a challenge for Leinster given the, the number of quality players they have. Do you feel as aggrieved by Dunn's departure as some Leinster fans and some Irish rugby fans who would have maybe fancied him out of those four to probably kick on to have international credentials or at least be in the conversation for an international call-up? Yeah, I wouldn't say aggrieved. I'm intrigued to see how it goes. I, I would have probably hoped that it would have moved a little bit faster for him. And obviously a long-term injury doesn't help that. He was out for the guts of a year, you know. Mm. Um, and I suppose with, with, like, we can't get into it now again. We, we discussed it in, in depth at the time with Jenkins coming in and, and maybe opportunities limited for the younger guys. That is a, a concern again. Um, but like Don is going on a two-year deal with absolute ambitions of coming back to Leinster and I wouldn't be shocked to see that happen. Munster away to the Bulls. John Hodnett has been pulling a tractor uh, on their training ground. <laughs> yeah, so, so good. <laughs> so good. You can't keep the guy off tractors, I hear. But, uh, <laughs> again, we don't have teams. <clears throat> Excuse me. But I'm really looking forward to this game. Uh, like, Again, it's so nice to have like two really high quality, potentially high quality URC games on such a big Six Nations weekend. But it kind of feels as though these kind of games are the ones we've been waiting for as well to see how the provinces get on in South Africa. I know it's slightly different. Your minus your internationals, there, there is almost an asterisk next to it, say, if Munster were to lose. But um, it's a challenge that a lot of those younger guys, I'd imagine, will relish, especially given the nightmare <laughs> tour of South Africa that just went a few months ago. Like, chance to clean the slate down there but also to really make a statement in the absence of your international teammates absolutely and, and it's just fascinating to see the stronger South African teams I know the Bulls aren't don't have an influx of, of Springboks but they've got a nice run together just as an aside I'm looking forward to Shark Scarlet's even more potentially because that Sharks mm. team is really humming and this is what we wanted in the in the URC but but it is a, a really interesting challenge for Munster obviously at altitude I can't wait to see whether Ben Healy or Mornay Stein can can kick the ball uh, Mornay Stein can kick the ball further uh, at, at the altitude it's going to be some um, penalty shootout I, I suppose if they're taking 65 metre attempts <laughs> but, but uh, yeah it's a, it's a young exciting squad for Munster over there with guys who again have been waiting for those opportunities and, and getting up uh, a chance to impress before Europe down the line as well as just staying in the hunt it's going to be more competitive now in the URCD's final few rounds into the playoffs as well it's kind of heating up nicely having simmered away under the radar for, for the last while 
and it'll be fascinating just to see how Munster and the Bulls match up, whether Bulls can can make them uncomfortable in different ways. I think one of my favourite parts of Ben Healy's game is how aggressive he is with kicks to touch from hand. Compared yeah. to so many out-halves in the modern game, he really tries to ping it. Like He'll pretty much attack the five-metre line or, or close enough to it from within his own half. And at altitude... I mean, it could be a 50-22 every phase. It could be, yeah, it could be really special to watch. Uh, I can't wait. Um, just, yeah, do, do you want to just very quickly elaborate on that Sharks-Scarlets game? I said there was only, I, I didn't mean there were only two high-quality games in the URC, but I meant obviously with Irish interest. But like, yeah. this is one for the neutrals to tune into. As you say, um, what did you say? The Sharks are homing. It feels that way. Yeah, it does. And they've got an influx of quality. I know... Um, that Khaleesi is captaining and Mapimpi is back in the team. Like they played over in Italy uh, a couple of weeks ago and they were really impressive in how they went about it. Like scored some excellent tries, but they're a mature team. They've got a kicking game, obviously. Uh, they've got Noel McNamara running their attack and they look really slick. They'll they'll miss um, they'll miss Lucanio Am. He's gone over to Japan just for a kind of short term stint, and it's a shame we won't see him play. But they've got a whole lot of quality there, and it could be a tough outing for for Scarlet. Again, this is just what we were hoping for, though. Hopefully the Scarlets learn a lot about themselves and it could be an absolute shootout of a game because they can the, the Welsh region can really play as well at times. Uh, that one's to this evening, isn't it? So looking forward mm-hmm. to that very much. Yeah, URC indeed, best league. We'll leave it there. Uh, we will be back on Monday with Birch looking back on all of these games uh, in as much detail as you want, really. I, I'm pretty sure that Monday episode is going to be a feature-length <laughs> podcast given yeah. all the rugby that's happening over the weekend. You have to uh, fly to London in the meantime. Enjoy, big man, and uh, we'll catch you afterwards. Cheers, Gav. Have a great weekend. Looking forward to Monday. Going to be a, a brilliant game to talk about. It is members.the42.e if you want to join us and get not only those Monday pods with Murray, Bernard and myself, but also Murray and Owen Tulin's Wednesday pods. Uh, can't recommend this week's episode enough. It's a really, really good preview of the England game. Looking at, a little bit more at England as well, Owen, in top form as always. Until Monday, mind yourselves. Take it easy. I don't think we've met before. But I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> it is Tommy Moe! Robbie Robbie Weekly. Little reverse pass. And oh! 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 Magic! You're not alive, boys, so you start kicking when the room.